From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, intraoperative OCT and microsporidial keratitis at APACRS. We can see that the anterior capsule, the rexus edge, is the best predictor for IOL position after surgery. Really? That's interesting. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the APA CRS annual meeting in Bali, Indonesia. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Oliver Findel on intraoperative OCT and Cordelia Chan on microsporidial keratitis. I'm here with Oliver Findel. Oliver, you, you gave the you gave the limb lecture, really a, a wonderful, wonderful lecture today. There were several things that that, that you that you touched on uh, in our attempt to get from very, very good to perfect. Um, the, I, I, I'd like to touch on a, on a few things because you you covered many many things. I'd like you to uh, talk a little bit about the integration of OCT with biometry, and then I also wanted you to talk about you you're uh, doing some work with intraoperative OCT uh, of of the lens capsule before implantation of the uh, lens, which sounds so cool. Let me get you to flesh out those two topics yeah. for me. Well, thank you. I mean, essentially, the, 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 well, the main topic is obviously optical biometry. That has really changed and revolutionized uh, our biometry and, and measurements before surgery. And, and we were quite sort of you know, proud uh, as Viennese from Austria that actually uh, laser interferometry usage for biometry was developed in Vienna. Uh, so we had the big prototype. It was like a one by one meter optical bench, huge machine. Um, and, and at that time, in the, in the mid-90s, we did all the phase one, phase two, phase three trials. And then later came the IOL master from, from Zeiss. And that has obviously really changed uh, the strategy. Now, the, they are coming out with new biometers, which are swept source OCTs. That means we don't only have an axial measurement with peaks, but now we actually see the cornea in different meridia. Uh, we see the lens um, and, and we see even a small uh, macular scan. Um, and that brings a few things which, first of all, the penetration is much better. So that means even you know, these very dense sub-posterior uh, sub subcapsular cataracts or sometimes even nearly white cataracts, we can still get through. So we had uh, a, a reduction of the rate of, of 
disappointments, meaning no measurements. We had, you had to go back to ultrasound uh, more than tenfold. So now there's only very rare cases where we actually need to do ultrasound. That's one nice thing about it. The, the next thing is that we were also able to show that if the lens is tilted before surgery, and it usually is a little, then that actually gives you a prediction of some IOL tilt after surgery. Huh. And that's also interesting, especially when you're dealing with toric lenses or multifocal lenses. That we still need to do more data, but that's the, that's the first trials we, we've, we've published. And then also the small macular scan is actually quite helpful because in Austria, at least, and in many European countries, we cannot do OCTs on all our cataract patients before surgery. But with that, you actually have a very good screening device for macular holes, for seeing cystoid macular edema, for example, in diabetics before surgery, or um, um, uh, also uh, um, you know, geographic atrophy or very thin, uh, thin retina or even epiretinal membranes. Yeah, epiretinal membranes, yeah. So that's a nice sort of add-on which you have. Um, and now... And now the step forward is now, well, you know, how can we improve our outcomes? We have great devices to measure the axial length uh, and so on, but now how can we get better? And, and really the, the, the key is where will the lens sit in the eye after surgery? You know, how much anterior posterior is it? Because that will obviously be the main uh, driver for, for refractive outcome. And what we've done is we had a prototype, it's a, a Visante anterior segment OCT, so actually an old machine, uh, incorporated into the operating microscope. And I do the cataract, I remove the, I do the fake, I do the IA, so now I've got a, a, an empty bag. Uh, in this case, we actually, at that trial, we did more than 200 eyes. We actually added a, a capsule tension ring just to make it nice and taut. And then we removed the viscoelastic. I had the uh, infusion cannula of my bimanual system uh, with the bottle very low, so the pressure is about 20 millimeters of mercury. And then we do the measurements. And we can see that the anterior capsule, the rexus edge, is the best predictor for IOL position after surgery. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. And, and so the idea is that uh, if you do that, what you could do is you do your preoperative biometry like you always do, and you have maybe like an eye, you know, with like a 30 diopter lens, that, that by all the, the formula you do, you use this one, this one, tells you 30 diopters, and then you actually do that measurement, and you see, oops, that's actually much shallower than we would expect, and then you would adapt your IOL power accordingly, and in this case, for example, give a stronger IOL. So that's, that's the aim. Now, obviously, you know, we need more trials to actually do that, but now we've done all the data gathering on, on, a, on a big population and we now have a prototype of, of, a, of, a, of an o, o, intraoperative OCT which is even quicker and even better and is probably going to do the job for us. So hope, hopefully that will come to market at some point within the next you know, years once we have the data for it. Now I've, I've, got, I've got two questions about that. I've got three questions but the third question is when can I get one? But the, 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 the first question is uh, once you have established what the position of the, of the capsule is, is that a a reliable predictor for you of where the lens is going to sit? I mean, one right. would think the, that the answer the, the, is yes. There's some offset, of course. There's always yeah. an offset. Uh, but it's always, consistent? Yes, it is. But there are two things you need to watch out, at least in our study, what we saw is this. One is, the, you know, the myopic eyes, they sometimes have this uh, reverse pupillary block. Yeah. So what, what, when you see that, you see it in the OCT, you see that the iris is in contact with the anterior capsule. In that case, you have to go in with your spatula and just lift the iris to relieve that, because otherwise you'll get a falsified measure. Sure. That's one thing. But that's easy. That's, that's not pretty yeah. straightforward. The other thing is there are some patients, they're not many, but there are some, probably those with harder cataracts, with loose zonules, and also maybe the anterior vitreous face not being completely um, you know, um, homogeneous anymore, who get more aqueous, uh, more you know, irrigating fluid going into the, uh, into the vitreous body and, and hydrating the vitreous during surgery. And we know that in extreme, there are some extreme examples where you know, the whole sure. vitreous is coming forward and uh, pushing. Um, 
And those are obviously tricky because in those cases you would have a falsified wrong measurement because this liquid will, this, this fluid will go out of the vitreous very quickly after a few hours after surgery, but obviously you don't want to. So that's one of the problems I see is that if you see that, 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 that the, you know, the real anterior bowing of the posterior capsule, that's probably an indicator that, that you've actually a, have a, a, a liquefied, hydrated, yeah. hydrated vitreous and then obviously these measurements may be wrong. So, so that's, that's a little tricky. My, my uh, second question is, is this, is um, now I uh, gather that you, you, you're not to the point where you have altered your selection of lenses on individual cases based upon these readings, but surely you can look at the data that you've gathered, the lenses that you've put in, at the refractive result that the patients have gotten, and then back calculate to, to, to validate. And I'm interested not only in validation of the spherical power, but particularly in terms of, you were mentioning lens tilt with TOR cases. Mm -hmm. um, have you looked at these sorts of data right. too? Right. I mean, for, for, so what we have, of course, we've back calculated. And what we saw is that this intraoperative measurement of the capsule, of the anterior capsule, was a better predictor than any of the preoperative parameters. So usually axial length is the driving factor for axial, you know, for IOL position, ACD, lens thickness to a certain extent. They were all worse than this intraoperative measurement, which tells us that this is a is going to make our our prediction better. Mm -hmm. um, concerning tilt, that's a different issue because intraoperative OCT is not good enough for measuring tilt yet. But what we know is from the preoperative measurements with the swept source OCT, the Almaster 700, and looking at tilt, that the magnitude of tilt is not we can't we can, our prognosis is not that great our prediction but the orientation is very good so that means the orientation is typically always the same so if the patient has a tilted lens which is a little you know off the normal meaning for example the inferior pole is towards the back and the pole, the superior pole is towards the anterior which is which would be a little odd typically it's symmetrical between the eyes and typically will stay that way after surgery. So orientation of tilt good, magnitude not yet. We'll see. Maybe we just have to refine the algorithms as well because what we do is we fit a parabola onto the lens before surgery and that gives us the tilt amount and maybe we, see, we can still get a little better by doing that uh, in the future. It's really, really, really interesting stuff. Um, it appeals to an optics geeky guy like, like me. Oliver, it was a wonderful, wonderful talk. Uh, I, 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 I'm sorry for the people who missed it. I'm very grateful that you've brought these topics to us and they've been so very generous with your time with us today. I'm here with Cordelia Chan. Cordelia, you give a, a really, really, really interesting talk. Um, something that really doesn't come up, up here f frequently. Y you spoke about microsporidia keratitis and I recall reading a paper a long time ago of uh, microsporidia keratitis in patients with AIDS and it was presenting in very deep stroma and th that's not at all what you spoke about. Can I get you to talk about it a little bit? Exactly, you're right. I mean, uh, many years ago, microsporidia was actually seen mainly in AIDS patients and um, more recently, we discovered that even in immunocompetent individuals, uh, microsporidial keratitis uh, can be manifest. So typically, the pre uh, patient presents with a red eye and pain, and often there is a history of um, exposure to contaminated water, to soil water, or even contact lenses and topical steroids. And um, the presentation is pretty unique. What you see is a punctate coarse epithelial keratitis, and uh, interestingly, these patients sometimes actually spontaneously get better. Right? Oh, really? but, yeah, yes, but the treatment of choice um, these days is uh, usually uh, fluoroquinolone monotherapy. 
Really, and, even yes. though it's 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 protozoal, it's not bacterial. Yes, it's protozoal, but uh, in cases um, where the, the disease is actually mild, we find that uh, monotherapy with fluoroquinolones um, works pretty well. Uh, in more resistant cases, we um, have been prescribing antihelminthic. Uh, medications like albendazole and this works pretty well as well. Having said that there are some instances where the disease can be a bit more fulminant in which it can involve the stroma and these uh, can end up having uh, severe stromal necrosis and some have actually ended up with a cornea transplant either a deep anterior lamellar keratoplasty or even a full thickness penetrating keratoplasty. So this disease is uh, not as innocuous as it seems, but certainly this disease patterns have changed and mindsets about this illness have changed over the years. It's no longer just associated with AIDS patients. Huh. And, and so when I think of protozoal keratitis, amoebiasis, what, what I think of are patients with lesions that themselves are modest but have pain really out of scale to the to the presentation that's not the way that it looks with uh uh, microsporidial patients? No. I mean, acanthamoeba patients, you know, they do have severe pain, usually severe pain out of proportion to their signs. But in microsporidia, many of them are actually very comfortable. Okay, so they may present with a red eye, some discomfort. Depending on the extent of the epithelial lesions, um, may, if they have uh, just uh, tiny bits uh, on the surface, some of them actually spontaneously resolve uh, without treatment. Right, so often the diagnosis is uh, confused with adenoviral keratoconjunctivitis and uh, often it is underdiagnosed. But more recently we have found that uh, microsporidia, um, there seems to be an increased uh, incidence. Not so much an increased incidence, I believe, but also a heightened awareness of the problem. So we're diagnosing it uh, more than before. How, how is diagnosis made? Okay, diagnosis is made actually by scraping the epithelial lesions, plating them onto a glass slide and staining with a modified trichrome stain. So actually staining the cysts, they come out as pink um, little bodies and um, these can be quite easily diagnosed by a trained eye. Huh. This is really, really interesting stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad that, that, you, that you spoke on this, on this topic and I'm super glad that, that, you, that you brought this to uh, us. Uh, Cordelia, I want to thank you very much for the generosity of your time with us today. Okay, you're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. Oliver Findel is chair of the Department of Ophthalmology at the Hanusch Hospital in Vienna, Austria. Cordelia Chan is visiting senior consultant at the Singapore National Eye Center in Singapore. Ask questions of Dr. Findel, Dr. Chan, or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.